This program is made possible by the members and donors to the show. For details, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with groups today from The Majority Report, The Rachel Maddow Show, The Progressive, The Onion Radio News, The David Pakman Show, The Young Turks, and The Jimmy Dore Show. And a note for our more sensitive listeners, this episode takes the position that the Girl Scouts are not actually a communist plot bent on teaching little girls about abortions. The Indiana State Senate passed a bill yesterday. I guess this was now, this was on Tuesday. Uh, they voted 28 to 22 to adopt a, uh, another one of those creationism uh, in the schools bills, which of course repeatedly have been found unconstitutional. Uh, following a 1988 Supreme Court case. Uh, but the, the funny thing about this bill is, is that at the last minute, a Democrat, Senator Vi Simpson, who I believe is uh, one of the uh, Indiana Senate minority leaders, stuck an amendment into the bill, which is actually... Uh, pretty funny, and it should be pretty funny to watch and see how these Indiana Republicans uh, respond to this. At the last minute, Senate Bill 89 was amended to read, the governing body of a school corporation may offer instruction on various theories of the origin of life. In other words, you know, the bill uh, basically says that, hey, if uh, you're teaching science, you can also teach the science of God came down and grabbed the rib from Adam's chest and put it onto a um, a tree stump, waved his magic wand and turned it into a lady. Not that I'm knocking that story. It's a nice story. I'm not sure it's actually scientific. But as the uh, creationists would say, well, you can't prove anything anyways. The uh, amendment uh, goes on to say the curriculum for the course must include theories from multiple religions. Ooh, the plot thickens. Which may include, but is not limited to, Christianity. Well, that's got to make those Indiana Republicans cheer. Judaism. Well... What are you going to do? <laughs> They'll all go back to Israel anyways, and then uh, Jesus will come back, hellfire, all that stuff. Oh, but, uh, Islam? Hinduism? Buddhism? And Scientology? High on the hill was a lonely goat herd lay, hood lay, hood lay. So, uh, if you're in Indiana, and you're sending your kids to uh, school there, Instead of a textbook, maybe they'll just play that uh, John Travolta movie. What was that thing called? Battlestar Xena or Zunu or Battlestar? What was it? Battlefield Earth. Battlefield Earth. John Travolta may come down, and apparently uh, the science says that what happens is the Xenus, I think, dropped a hydrogen bomb in an earthquake or a, uh, excuse me, a volcano, and uh, that's how we... Um, that's how we uh, grew fingers. I'm not exactly sure what the science is there because I'm not a scientist. Um, but so uh, the Republicans now have opened the door 
for anything to be taught as science in the science class and uh pretty uh pretty funny move by the uh, by the senate democrats there uh in uh indiana so uh good luck in indiana uh here's a little tip to uh, anyone looking to hire uh any um any indiana natives uh best not to hire them for any type of scientific jobs may want to stick with more of those like service oriented things hotel clerk something like that the deed's done done having fun I think I'm done maybe just happy think I'm just happy think I'm just happy think I'm just happy A few weeks ago, the CEO of Masterluck told me that it now makes business sense for him to bring jobs back home. Today, for the first time in 15 years, Masterluck's unionized plant in Milwaukee is running at full capacity. That was President Obama at the State of the Union address last month. Here was President Obama today in Milwaukee at that unionized master lock plant. The president taking a tour of the plant and delivering a speech in front of a stack of boxes that said, Made in the USA. So there's the president hyping an American company that chose to bring jobs back to the United States, speaking on the floor of that company's unionized plant. And he's there in a state with a governor who has made a national name for himself by stripping union rights in that state last year. In this picture from Wisconsin today, it's not just the president who's running a campaign to stay in office this year. Governor Scott Walker, Republican of Wisconsin, is facing being recalled from office before the end of his first term, thanks to Wisconsin voters angry with that stripping of union rights in the state and his big, big cuts to education and much more. On the pro-Scott Walker side, there are ads running in Wisconsin now against recalling the governor. In these ads, the Governor Walker and groups supporting him frequently describe the governor as having balanced the state's budget. Turns out, he did not balance the state's budget. This was the headline late last week in the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. State faces $143 million shortfall as tax collections lag. See, Scott Walker cut taxes, and this crazy thing happens when you cut what has to be paid in taxes. Turns out, what people pay in taxes gets cut. So under Scott Walker, tax collections down, big $140 million hole in the Wisconsin state budget, thus jeopardizing his main claim for why he shouldn't be recalled from office, which is that he wants to be able to say he balanced the state budget, which he didn't. Here's where the magic happens. It's a robbery told in three headlines. This is better than surveillance camera footage. Watch this. Watch this burglary. All right. Headline one. This goes up at the Journal Sentinel Thursday night. State faces $143 million shortfall. That's headline one. Headline two. This goes up at the Associated Press at three in the morning the next morning on Friday morning. Hey, that mortgage settlement with the big banks, Wisconsin homeowners are getting 140 million bucks from that. So those are the first two, right? $140 million hole in Scott Walker's budget and $140 million coming to the state for Wisconsin homeowners. So what's the third headline? You guessed it. Walker and his attorney general say that mortgage settlement that's supposed to go to Wisconsin families, they're taking it. They're taking at least a chunk of it 
for their budget hole. Ta-da! Wisconsin's share of that mortgage settlement, Wisconsin's share of that mortgage settlement is supposed to go to Wisconsin families who got foreclosed on illegally by the banks. The state is being given the bank's money so the state can hand it over to the wronged parties here, to the, to the people, to the homeowners. But Scott Walker is taking tens of millions of dollars of that for his budget hole instead, for the budget hole created by his tax breaks. We learned today that the effort to keep Governor Walker in office also includes this. Uh, it's a rally apparently scheduled for Friday. Remember the so-called Brooks Brothers riot in Florida in 2000 when the Republican Party bust and flew in uh, Republican operatives from all over the country to pound on the doors and windows and make a big physically intimidating scene at the site where the Florida presidential recount was underway? Remember that? Well, this year in Wisconsin, pro-Scott Walker organizers are asking people to march on the Government Accountability Board in Wisconsin. The Government Accountability Board, where workers are certifying the million signature petitions that are expected to put the Scott Walker recall on the ballot. They want to march on that office. So yeah, the master lock insourcing American job story has some real national resonance. But so does the hard, sudden turn for the weird in Wisconsin's own politics. I hope you enjoyed this show, but also consider it a valuable tool for not only aggregating, but more importantly, amplifying our view of progressive politics in the world. So if that's true, I ask you to support this work by becoming a member of the show at whatever level you're able, as anything from a basic leftist up through the ranks of socialist, communist, Satanist, or even the most reviled level of support, George Soros. I produce 11 episodes a month of fearless coverage on all the hot-button issues we face, maintaining a rock-solid schedule. So if that sounds worth supporting, please consider signing up to donate as little as $5 a month or even $55 a year. Members also gain access to bonus audio and video content that doesn't make it into the show itself. So for a concrete way to support a strong progressive voice, please visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. With the decision by Olympia Snow to not seek re-election to the U.S. Senate, much of the mainstream media is bemoaning the demise of moderation. And while I agree that the Republican Party has pretty much purged from office anyone with a moderate or decent bone in their body, I don't believe that the answer to the country's problems lies somewhere in the middle between far-right Republicans and centrist corporate Democrats. President Obama himself tilted at the bipartisan windmills for way too long. And even in Wisconsin, I'm hearing the plea from well-meaning people that we need to return to a more pleasant politics with more compromise. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not for being rude or for calling people names. But compromise isn't always the answer. When the issues are fundamental, like should we wage an illegal war or shouldn't we? Should we have a tax system that favors the rich or shouldn't we? Should we crush unions or shouldn't we? Should we make college unaffordable or shouldn't we? The answer isn't to split the difference. The answer is to hold our progressive ground. Sometimes we just need to fight things out. And this is such a time. I'm Matt Rothschild, and that's how I see it.
Washington area conservationists announced Wednesday the beginning of a new breeding program designed to save the few remaining members of the moderate Republican species from complete extinction. Environmentalists launched an initiative Monday to capture centrist GOP politicians in their natural habitat and move them to captivity where they are safe from the highly territorial evangelical and Tea Party subgenus. A lot of cats and specimens tend to be wary around each other at first. But once they realize they're free to support gay rights or increase funding for public education, they begin their sexual ritual almost immediately. Scientists said they hope this measure proves more successful than the liberal conservative crossbreeding they tried last year, which resulted in Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders being ferociously mauled and torn apart by Kansas Republican Lynn Jenkins. Has American-style conservatism become a religion? Hear me out, Lewis. I know you're already reacting very, very uh, skeptically. Uh, There's an interesting alternate article which talks about, we know about the, the role that fundamentalist religion plays in today's Republican Party, but I think maybe it's gone even further, spreading dangerous, downright dangerous beliefs almost as articles of faith, similar to the way the Bible's considered. I mean, we have the... Uh, you know, uh, the acolytes of Ayn Rand, the Tea Party extremists waving the misspelled signs, talking about socialism. And I think it's a legitimate question to say whether this backlash conservatism has become a religious faith rather than just a political ideology. And here's my argument. Ideology is grounded in the real world. It offers philosophical considerations, it offers us a philosophical lens through which we can process what's happening, whereas religion is different than that. It's a fixed belief system, it is based on faith, and it's immune to, or it at least is very strongly resistant to changes in objective reality, right? Which better describes the belief system of a typical Rush Limbaugh fan or a Tea Party activist? Is it uh, a philosophical lens grounded in the real world, or is it more like religion? It is faith unaffected by the true facts of, of, of the world. The latter. I think it is. And like all religious faiths, the hard right reveres an original text. Instead of the Bible, it's what? The Constitution. The Constitution. And also, like all religious fundamentalists, conservatives claim to follow a literal interpretation of that document, when in reality, they pick and choose what's convenient for them, and they ignore what isn't. Very similar to what goes on with the Bible. This is true. A vast majority of Christian fundamentalists don't actually stone their daughters to to death when they're obnoxious to their fathers, right? That's in the Bible. Mm -hmm. The Tea Parties conveniently ignore Article 3 of the Constitution. Very, very similar type of ideology. And also, like other fundamentalist sects, most conservatives actually don't really have a good understanding of what that text they are so obsessed with actually says. Republicans say everything the Democrats pass is unconstitutional, even policies they've championed for decades, like, for example, individual health care mandate. All we've heard for two years is that's unconstitutional. It's not, and conservatives wanted that mandate for much of a time. And I think the easiest parallel we can draw between conservatism and religion is the vilification of climate scientists by the right. 
98% of climate scientists agree human activities are changing our world with dangerous consequences. Okay? This reminds me exactly of when the Catholic Church had this battle with Copernicans who believed the earth revolved around the sun. The theory flew in the face of church doctrine. How right, pe is people, people were killed for believing that. People were killed. Yeah, go ahead, Natan. Yeah, just I wanted to defend the Catholics in defense of them compared to American conservatives, Protestants. I mean, the Catholics are probably the most science-accepting Christian group on the planet, especially now the Vatican. Are. Now they are. Yes, but it, I'm talking about at that point. No, you're right. Yeah. I think another belief might be more telling. Cutting taxes always brings more revenue to the government, right? There's two reasons that this could be considered religious dogma instead of just spin. Number one, it represents one of these perfect articles of faith, right? Uh, no, it's, it's not reality, but it's universally held regardless of the fact. It's just one of the tenets. Less taxes increases government revenue on the whole. It's just not true. In 2007, Time Magazine reporter Justin Fox actually surveyed conservatives. Do you believe that? Do you believe lowering tax rates increases government revenue? And he found a perfect split. Conservative politicians, pundits, and operatives believe that. Conservative economists or budget experts, people who have to live in reality somewhat, actually said it's not actually true that lowering taxes always increases government revenue. It's just not true. So that's my case. I believe that modern conservatism, if we look at it at its, at its, at its basis, is not that different than religion versus political ideology. What's your thought? Uh, well, it sounds like the shoe fits. I mean, it, by definition, that's what it sounds like. What do you think, Natan? I mean, separate from the from the Catholic incident, is there? Are we? Do we? Is religion actually what American conservatism has become? I mean, I think that a sort of born again Christians evangelists have taken over the Republican Party, at least in the last thirty years. But but now it's starting to happen that a lot of these religious people are starting to find that some of those same values they hold can just as perfectly well apply to the Democratic Party and their principles. So I think that going forward, I don't know that the Republicans are going to have a monopoly on religion. Well, I think it's a different question. My question is whether the types of beliefs common to the Republic, to American conservatism are beliefs held in the way that one holds religious beliefs as opposed to looking at facts or science. I mean, I'd have to go ahead and say that most Democratic voters, at least many of them, also sort of you know, cling to their general principles with the same type of uh, thought process. Your thought, Lewis? But I'm going to say that, uh, well, of course, there's this link between a religion and the conservatives. Can't deny that, but, yeah, of course, the same argument could be made about liberals or any... I any, think it's a stronger argument on the right. I really do. I would say that... The, the left-leaning people tend to be more grounded in reality and tend to have more... Mm, their ideas evolve. Their ideas change. Right? Evolution, exactly. I agree with you.
As an anti-consumerism advocate, I'd like to encourage you to shop less, don't buy things you don't need, and only buy the necessities from local, independently owned businesses. That said, if you don't take this good advice, then at least there's a way to shop that helps support this show at the same time. Simply click through to Amazon.com, just one of the major companies under constant boycott by one liberal cause or another, from the banner posted at bestoftheleft.com. Better yet, click through just once and bookmark that link to use every time you shop. Your shopping experience will be identical to normal. It will cost you nothing extra, but 7 to 8% of the cost of your order in soulless corporate blood money will be siphoned off and used to tremendously support the production of this show. Thanks for doing the right thing, whatever you consider that to be. There's a representative by the name of Bob Morris in Indiana, and he says that he will not sign uh, uh, an agreement that would celebrate the 100th anniversary of the Girl Scouts. And the reason why he doesn't want to do that is because he believes that it is a radicalized organization that that supports abortion and promotes homosexuality. Uh, Of course. No, no, no. It's true. I went to a Girl Scout meeting once. Don't ask me why. And they started in with the feminists. And then they started getting there, they're like, okay, when do you guys want to have an abortion? Oh, before or after we sell the Girl Scout cookies? They're not even old enough. Like they, but that, that's the amazing thing about conservatives. Right. They really believe it. They believe in these conspiracies, you know, like the Glenn Beck kind of things. Like, oh my God, they're coming. Soros is coming in a black helicopter to radicalize the Girl Scouts. And they're going to kidnap our kids and make them have abortions. And their whole point is to sexualize them. Really? I mean, you, you, does anyone actually believe that? Apparently the answer is yes. These guys got it through their head. They think, no, no, that's it. We figured it out. I just want to let everybody know. It's amazing how they can demonize the most innocent people mm-hmm. on this planet. Like Girl Scouts, right? All of a sudden, Girl Scouts are the bad guys. But anyway, his quotes are just great because it shows you how stupid and uninformed he is. So he says, after talking to some well-informed constituents, I did a small amount of web-based research and what I found is disturbing. (laughs) I bet it is. You (laughs) idiot. (laughs) Informed constituents. In other words, some ridiculous guy sent me a ridiculous email and I was a schmuck enough to believe it. I know. And then I went to like some ridiculous kooky conservative website and they believed it too. What else? He continues to say, uh, you will not find evidence of this on the GSA WAGGGS website. In fact, the websites of these two organizations explicitly deny funding Planned Parenthood. You know why? Because they don't fund Planned Parenthood. He's so referring to the Girl Scouts website, etc. Yeah. He's like, what a devious plan they've set up <laughs> to fund it by not funding it. Okay. So they say they're not funding it. Obviously, that means they are funding it. Because I saw it in an email and then confirmed it with a conservative blog. Well-informed sources. Now, of course, the uh, Girl Scouts of America have, uh, like, mentors and role models. He says, of the 50 role models listed, only three have a briefly mentioned religious background. All the rest are feminists, lesbians, or communists. (laughs) (laughs) Come on, really? 47 feminists and communists and lesbians on there? (laughs) Really, this, has anybody gone to the Girl Scouts? Are they like, okay, what would you like to be first, a lesbian or a communist? And here's my favorite part. If they're turning them into lesbians, why would they need an abortion? <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> well, you know, for the few that they're unable to convert. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. I just they want to make sure that they have that option available. Okay. Yeah. 
Get a life, man. And stop obsessing about Girl Scouts. Everything I do, I do it for a girl. I do it for a girl. I do it for a girl. Everything I do, I do it for a girl. I do it for a girl. I do it for a girl. Girls, oh girls, they turn my mind around and say, In the past, we have spoken how ALEC, the American Legislative Exchange Council, is a front for corporate interests. And what they do is they hold these conferences and they maintain an infrastructure to develop right-wing, corporate-friendly legislation. At these conferences, they essentially pair up like a buddy system. It's sort of cute. Are you a state legislature, a legislator, I should say? Come and meet and meet your corporate buddy. You come to the conference, they pay your way, or some of you get your state budget to pay your way, and you sit down with a corporate representative, and then you sit down with one of our corporate shill think tankers, and they come up with legislation that you can propose back home. Model legislation. <laughs> and apparently, uh, this is such a rubber stamping by these legislators that Florida State Representative Rachel Bergen introduced a, res uh, a resolution that would officially call on the federal government to reduce corporate taxes. This is in November in Florida. She forgot to remove Alex's mission statement from the top of the bill. So not only did she copy this word for word, she didn't even read it. A memo to the Congress of the United States urging Congress to cut the federal corporate tax. The resolution reads, Whereas... It is the mission of the American Legislative Exchange Council to advance Jeffersonian principles of free markets, limited government, federalism, and individual liberty, etc., etc., etc. What an idiot. Apparently, she quickly withdrew the bill, hoping that no one had noticed, and reintroduced it 24 hours later, this is according to Common Cause, with a new bill number. But now, without that paragraph that showed that she's simply a shill. That is hilarious and horribly, horribly sad. So if you had any doubt as to whether or not Alec, or really, if you had any doubt that these Republican legislators were simply pass-throughs for Alec, well, now you know. You know what her next resolution should be? Whereas, we as state legislators don't do anything except for deliver the bills sent to us by ALEC. 
we should abolish our positions and simply allow a representative from Alec to sit here to cut out the middleman. What a terrible thing for you to do. What an awful thing for you to say. What a terrible thing for you to relay. Hi, I'm Sam Cedar. You may know me from my shows on Air America Radio, from filling in for Keith Olbermann on Countdown, or even, God forbid, my directing shows like Comedy Central's I'm With Busey. If not, you should really get to know me. Not personally, of course. I think we'd both find that uncomfortable. But if you're a fan of the best of the left like me, I think you'll enjoy my daily live show and podcast, The Majority Report, at Majority.fm. It's a daily dose of political news, analysis, and guests like Chris Hayes, Robert Reich, Digby, comedians like Mark Marin, Janine Garofalo, filmmakers like Morgan Spurlock and Lucy Walker, and on occasion, between my rants on raising taxes, ending wars, and decorporatizing our democracy, I can be mildly amusing. I'm unbought and unbossed daily on the Majority Report at Majority.fm. I was on a panel the other day about the Wisconsin uprising, and a woman raised her hand and asked, how are we going to sustain the progressive momentum after the recall election, no matter who won? That's a question I've been mulling over for a long time, and I got a two-part answer that applies not only to Wisconsin, but across the country. The first is to celebrate your local progressive roots. We've done that in Wisconsin by exalting Fighting Bob LaFollette, the champion of progressivism 100 years ago, and thanks to my friend Ed Garvey by hosting an annual progressive event called Fighting Bob Fest. Similar such festivals could be held honoring progressive figures in every state. And second, we also need to organize ourselves at the grassroots into local progressive councils. Invite everyone, the old-fashioned way and via Facebook and Twitter and email, to gather for a series of sessions where we hash out what our real grievances are and then present those demands at a statewide progressive convention. This bubbling up of demands is the real stuff of democracy, which is not about fundraising and not about negative advertising, but about seeking a redress of grievances. When people get together and arrive at a set of demands for improving their lot, we'll be back on the road to democracy. I'm Matt Rothschild, and that's how I see it. Republican primary pop quiz, 1988. Ronald Reagan has just finished his second term. His vice president is Poppy Bush, George H.W. Bush, who, of course, wants to be the next Republican presidential nominee. But Poppy Bush does still have to win the nomination of the Republican Party. His main rival for the nomination that year, if it wasn't going to be Poppy Bush, who was it going to be? It was going to be Senator Bob Dole, right? Senator Dole came in second in the Republican primary that year. So here is your pop quiz. 1988 Republican presidential primary. Who won Hawaii and Alaska? Was it Poppy Bush? No. Ah, so it was Bob Dole. Actually, neither of them. 
actually in Alaska and Hawaii and Nevada and Washington State. In the Republican nominating contest in 1988, neither Poppy Bush nor Bob Dole won. It was Pat Robertson. Pat Robertson, the televangelist. Pat Robertson carried those four states in the Republican primary in 1988. In Iowa, he beat Poppy Bush, but he came in second behind Bob Dole. Pat Robertson had a bang-up year. He got a speaking spot at the Republican convention that year. He magnanimously released his delegates to support the eventual nominee, to support Poppy Bush. And then Mr. Robertson returned triumphantly to his televangelist college. I'm sorry, to his, his televangelist university, I should say. Ten years before he ran for president, televangelist Pat Robertson of the Christian Broadcasting Network had founded something called the Christian Broadcasting Network University. Remember when Glenn Beck tried to do that? Well, Pat Robertson and Jerry Falwell had the idea first. Eventually, Pat Robertson would change the name of the Christian Broadcasting Network University uh, to Regent University, which is what it's called now. But at the time of his presidential run, it was still CBNU. And, and at that time, the year after Pat Robertson's presidential run, a young executive at a company called the American Hospital Supply Corporation decided that he was going to jump off the corporate merry-go-round and follow in Pat Robertson's footsteps, first to the televangelist university and then into politics. That man's name was Bob McDonnell. And in his official biography now on his website as Virginia governor, it is noted that in the mid-1980s, when Bob McDonnell was in his 30s, he was, quote, moving rapidly up the corporate ladder, but... Something was missing. That something was Pat Robertson, specifically Pat Robertson's televangelist school, the year after Mr. Robinson ran, uh, Mr. Robertson ran for president. Now, now Bob McDonnell uh, was not a kid at this point in his life. He was married. He had kids of his own. This was a mid-career change undertaken by an adult. And at Pat Robertson's university, while Bob McDonnell was in his mid-30s, uh, he wrote a thesis that was titled, The Republican Party's Vision for the Family, the Compelling Issue of the Decade. Leaders, Bob McDonnell argued, must correct the conventional folklore about the separation of church and state. He called on, quote, every level of government to use public policy to punish, quote, cohabitators, homosexuals, or fornicators. He says, man's basic nature is inclined toward evil, and when the exercise of liberty takes the shape of pornography, drug abuse, or homosexuality, hey, that's me, uh, the government must restrain, punish, and deter. Bob McDonald said the Supreme Court ruling in Griswold v. Connecticut, which said states can't criminalize contraception, he said that ruling was illogical. Uh, he then came out raging against, quote, the perverted notion of liberty that each individual should be able to live out his sexual life in the way he chooses without interference from the state. So that was Bob McDonald's vision uh, for what exactly the state should interfere with in your life and why uh, while he was at Pat Robertson's televangelist university when he was in his mid-30s. Now, of course, Bob McDonald um, these days is being considered as perhaps the top candidate for the Republican Party's vice presidential nomination. Romney said McDonald would be on any candidate's shortlist for vice president. Whomever the nominee is, I hope they would uh, choose Bob McDonald as their vice presidential candidate. I could be looking at uh, the next running mate here. Well, listen, I'll let everybody else worry about that. You'd be open to it? Well, look, if somebody called and said you could help our country, help our ticket, I think any of us would, so would, would think about it. The guy sitting across from me would be a pretty good number two on the ticket. Interested? 
<laughs> That's completely up to somebody else. I think any governor would say that you get a call from the nominee and said, you can help our party, you can help our country. Of course, you'd consider doing that. Bob McDonald has all but said he would like to be picked for vice president, please. And his eagerness on the subject is why, even though he's governor of Virginia, last night you could find him in Michigan on the campaign trail for Mitt Romney, since Michigan's all-important primary is just a week away. But when Governor McDonald does make his way back to Virginia, back to the state capitol, he can look forward to some decision-making. Both houses of the Virginia legislature have passed legislation that would force women seeking an abortion in Virginia to have an internal vaginal probe ultrasound at the direction of the state that is not medically necessary, and they're going to do it against her wishes and even if her doctor objects. Now, Bob McDonald has said that he will sign this measure, and that's no surprise. When he was in the state legislature in Virginia himself, he sponsored a bill a lot like this. Two years after he wrote that thesis at Pat Robertson's university is when McDonald started his political career. He got elected to the Virginia legislature, and by the time a decade and a half later he was running for attorney general and then governor of the state, a Washington Post analysis looked at that thesis and found that of the 15 things that were listed in Bob McDonald's televangelist university thesis about what government should do, of his 15 action points in his anti-fornicators thesis, of the 15 action items he described in that thesis he wrote for Pat Robertson's televangelist university, Mr. McDonald had already worked on legislation to address 10 of those 15 points. So that meant his anti-abortion ultrasound bill and numerous other anti-abortion measures. He sponsored four bills to make divorce more difficult in Virginia. He even co-sponsored legislation that could have made it illegal to swear in an email that was sent from Virginia. Now, everybody agrees, swearing, very, very bad, right? <laughs> but a government big enough to be able to regulate whether you swear in your emails? That's a very specific kind of conservatism. Bob McDonald's thesis had said uh, that the, quote, trend of working women was, quote, ultimately detrimental to the family. Once Bob McDonald got into the state legislature, uh, a long time later, he voted against a resolution calling for the end of pay discrepancies between men and women. <laughs> the resolution essentially said, we think men and women ought to get paid the same if they do the same work. Bob McDonald voted no on that. By 2009, when Bob McDonald was running against a Democrat named Cree Deeds for governor of the state, he referenced his Pat Robertson televangelist school thesis in an interview. And it had not previously been publicly discussed, but when he brought it up during the campaign, that sent the Washington Post to the school to go to the school's library to look up this thesis that Bob McDonald had started mentioning on the campaign trail. And in the resulting hullabaloo over the punishing fornicators and the evil of women having jobs in his thesis... Bob McDonald promised that he did not hold those views anymore. For example, he told reporters when he was running for governor that now he no longer believed that government should discriminate on the basis of sexual orientation. And now he no longer believed that government should ban contraceptives. Then, of course, Bob McDonald got elected governor. And one of his first acts was to move uh, to make discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation legal in the state of Virginia. He had just said he didn't believe that anymore. He just said that right before the election, but that is one of the first things he did right after he got elected. We covered it at the time. The new governor, McDonald, still in his first month in office, went to the trouble of rescinding an executive order concerning discrimination and state workers. Thanks to Bob McDonald's overt action, his overt order in this case, you can be asked what your sexual orientation is in a job interview in Virginia, and your answer can legally be the reason you don't get the job. Apparently, since then, my chair has grown. Did you notice that? 
Anyway, usually it's just my hair that goes like this when we see clips. Anyway, but that was that was just the sort of thing um, that Bob McDonald could do by executive order, making sexual orientation discrimination legal in the state. He could do that just as governor, but by by, by a signature of his own pen. Bob McDonald really started getting what he wanted this year, though, when Republicans took control of both houses of the Virginia State Legislature. I mean, back when he was at Televangelist College, Bob McDonald had said that states ought to be able to make contraception illegal, right? Then in order to get elected governor, once that thesis came to light, he said he no longer believed that. But now, now that he is governor, and now that Republicans control both houses of the state legislature, and now thanks to his old buddy with whom he co-sponsored the you can't swear in an email bill, now as governor, Bob McDonald is about to get his chance. Bob McDonald is finally about to get to decide whether or not Virginia ought to ban contraception. At least hormonal contraception, the kind that most American women use. That's thanks to Virginia's personhood bill, which would ban all abortion in the state and likely the pill as well. Before he had Republican control of the legislature, the Bob McDonald administration had also changed regulations in the state about adoption. The state approving rules last year that would allow adoption agencies to discriminate against couples for being gay. Uh, and for much, much more, the new rules on adoption in Virginia that were brought, on, brought in under Bob McDonald, those new rules reserve the right to discriminate against you in adoptions, not just on the basis of your sexual orientation, but also on the basis of your age, your gender, your disability, your religion, your political beliefs, your family status. The, the McDonald administration already made that change, right? They already changed the rules to say you can be blocked from adopting a child in Virginia because you're a registered Democrat or because you're a Jew. They have already changed those rules. But now, now that Republicans control the entire state legislature, Bob McDonald's going to get a chance to make that essentially permanent, to, to sign a version of that new rule into law. So it can't just be reversed by somebody else's executive order. The legislature has passed a bill allowing adoption agencies explicitly to discriminate against anybody who doesn't share their religious beliefs. So, so not only could you be blocked for adopting in Virginia because you're gay, but you could be blocked for any reason that anybody claims has anything to do uh, with their religion. Any reason anybody thinks you don't follow their religious beliefs, no adoption for you. And of course, there's the ultrasound bill. Uh, which Republicans seem to have spooked themselves about a little bit. After yesterday's protest delayed what was expected to be a final vote on the measure in the House, Republicans today again delayed that vote. So here's the big picture. Put yourself in the shoes of Bob McDonald. Or put yourself in the shoes, if you can't imagine yourself as Bob McDonald, put yourself in the shoes of a Republican political consultant trying to advise Bob McDonald about how he can achieve his ambition of becoming the vice presidential nominee of the Republican Party. What would you tell him about that bill? Would you tell him to sign it? I mean, think about what he's got on his desk or heading to his desk right now. The forced ultrasounds, uh, the abortion and contraception ban, even the adoption rules. If you want to be the vice presidential nominee for the Republican Party as badly as Bob McDonald plainly does, is stuff like this radioactive? Or is this exactly what you need? Because this is what the Republican Party is looking for in a nominee in 2012. 
The mission of this show is to aggregate and amplify the best voices of the truly liberal media, and now you can play a critical role in helping fulfill that mission. I pick out the best clips I hear to share with you, and now you can do just the same thing extremely easily. Now available at bestofleft.com, each clip I play is made available individually with simple buttons that allow you to share your favorites on your networks through Facebook, Twitter, by email, and beyond. By myself, I can amplify this content to thousands of people, but collectively, we have the potential to reach millions. No kidding. Become your own media activist by taking one minute to share your favorite content a couple of days each week, help more people plug into the truly liberal media, and be an integral part of this extremely virtuous cycle. Thanks so much for your help. So in 2008, Rick Santorum was speaking to the, uh, at a, a place called the Press and People of Faith and Politics. Oh, thank God. Now, they never had one of those before. It was sponsored by Oxford Center for Religion and Public Life. And he had some curious things to say. First of all, he thinks that the Democrats uh, are the party of Woodstock. They're obsessed with Woodstock. They're obsessed with sex. It's kind of ironic because all he ever does is talk about sex, especially in this speech. And he called Woodstock, quote, the great American orgy. Which, you know, I don't know if that was true or not. Uh, I hope it was. I hope it was a good time. But every time I hear Republicans talking about it, they sound so bitter that they were not involved. Like, n- no Republican ever went to Woodstock and then came back and derisively called it an orgy. All the ones who couldn't go and were dorks and losers and didn't get to have fun at that time turned around and go, oh, it was a great American orgy. I hated it as I watched it from home and didn't take part in it. Boo hoo. So, when they ask him about uh, sex, well, let's expand on that quote. He says, Woodstock is the great American orgy. This is who the Democratic Party has become. They have become the party of Woodstock. They prey upon our most basic primal lusts, and that's sex and the whole abortion culture. It's not about life. It's about sexual freedom. That's what it's about. Homosexuality, it's about sexual freedom. Now, a couple points in there. Number one, when's the last time you heard a Democrat talking about sex? Almost never, right? Do they ever come out and say, we're the pro-sex party? We loved Woodstock because it was such a great orgy? No, Democrats run from that issue. Now, I don't know why they do, because the country is actually massively in favor of sex. In fact, all of humanity is in favor of sex. But Democrats being who they are, they run. Who are the only people who actually talk about sex in politics? Republicans. They're obsessed with it. But Rick Santorum does projection there. Oh, Democrats are the party of sex, etc., etc. Point number three. I thought you were for freedom. Isn't it funny how Rick Santorum's like, I'm for liberty and freedom, unless it comes to sex, in which case I want to control your sex life and tell you who you can and can't have sex with and what kind of orgies you can and cannot attend, who you can fall in love with, who you can get married to. But wait a minute, I thought you were for freedom. No, no, no. When it comes to sexual freedom, Rick Santorum's got to get in your bed and figure out what's going on. It's gross hypocrisy. All right. Now, One more quote in that regard. He also went on to say in that same conference, quote, it comes down to sex, that's what it's all about. See, that's so telling, because he's he's talking about Democrats, but in reality, he's totally describing his entire career. What's Rick Santorum known best for? It's not for the K Street Project, where he put Republicans and lobbyists together, although he should be best known for that. It's not for protecting the energy companies and the healthcare companies, which he did, right? It's not for anything he accomplishes as a conservative. It's for talking about sex and how anti-sex he is. 
Now, this is the other thing that drives me crazy. One, they're the ones that are obsessed with sex. But number two, Democrats, you know which portion of the country is in favor of sex? 100% of the country. This is not a losing issue for you. This is a winning issue for you. If you would ever embrace it. Now, I'm not saying the Democratic you know, uh, politicians should go out and be like, yeah, I'm in favor of orgies, let's get it on. No, but you don't have to run from the issue. When these moralists like Rick Santorum come, when these homophobes, these regressive people, you know, we had a naming contest for Rick Santorum's Secret Service code name last night on the current show. Uh, Aqua Buddha came up with my favorite, church lady. That's what this guy is, he's the church lady, okay? When this guy comes calling, you should knock him to the other side of the country, man. It's such a winning issue for you. Now, I mean, this guy's trying to decide what kind of sex you should have. Americans hate that, man. They don't want this guy in their bedroom. Who wants Rick Santorum in their bedroom? I'm not sure Mrs. Santorum wants that. Now, final part of this is when he talks about Christianity. And he says that basically there is no such thing as a liberal Christian. Let me give you the quote. But is there such a thing as a sincere liberal Christian which says that we basically take this document and rewrite it ourselves? Is that really Christian? That's a bigger question for me. And the answer is no, it's not. I don't think there is such a thing. Now he says there are no such thing as liberal Christians. I guess you're going to have to tell Jimmy Carter that. You're going to have to tell Martin Luther King Jr. that. You're going to have to tell Jesus Christ that. Because Jesus Christ makes everybody else look like an absolute conservative by comparison. There was no bigger liberal in the history of the world than Jesus Christ. He said give all your money, everything to the poor. He said there's a better chance of a rich man passing, I'm sorry, for a camel passing through the eye of a needle than a rich man getting into heaven. Jesus Christ wanted you to give everything up for the poor, the needy, prostitutes, etc. And the irony here is that Rick Santorum perverts the Bible for his own political purposes and then turns around and says anyone who misreads the Bible, perverts the Bible, is not a real Christian. But Rick, that's you. While you protect the rich and you pretend to be a Christian, you're doing the exact opposite. You're not a Christian at all. And then you turn around and say anyone who actually does care about the poor, anyone who actually realizes the focus of the New Testament is to help others, well, then they're not real Christians. That is the height of irony, man. Rick Santorum is as big a fraud as there is, and he's absolutely obsessed with sex, probably because he didn't get enough. Oh my God, she's so hot. She's so flippin' hot. She's like a curry. I wanna tell her how hot she is, but she'll think I'm being sexist. She's so hot, she's making me sexist. Bitch. I think I need a 1983 Casio DG20 electric guitar. Set to electric mandolin. Some drums. Yeah. I see you with a sign, I wanna boom like it's never been done. My smooths like the click of my bugger. My beats stay locked and my eyes are zooming. My feet start twitching and my body's booming. The first day boom and the flowers are blooming. Booty boom, bass and the party is booming. Boom, a boom, like a rocket taken after the moon. I was watching some of the old T-Vote uh, shows that I had from CPAC, right? So I T-Vote a bunch of the stuff from CPAC, and I was watching it over the weekend. And one of the things I saw was Rick Santorum's speech, which I had already seen once. And 
uh, by the way, he brought his family on stage with him at CPAC, uh, Rick Santorum, his whole family, mm-hmm. right? So he has uh, two boys on either end, right? There's, I think he's got seven kids. Mm-hmm. So he's got two boys bookending the kids behind him, both wearing sweater vests. Oh, really? Both I will never his kids, wear a sweater vest. Both of his again. kids mm-hmm. wearing sweater vests. Do you, th- do you think he thinks if he gets elected, he'll get to own Land's End? <laughs> <laughs> by the way, his oldest daughter looks like a hot Ruth Buzzy. She is I gotta a tell you, slice I think of gorgeous. She's really attractive, yeah. right? And she's got such a nice smile. I felt so and sorry for her. And I hear she really her. puts out. I, I, <laughs> I felt very sorry for her to standing behind her father, like giving that look. You know, like mm. you're, she's stuck with that father mm. and he's just shaming her sex, mm. sexuality yeah. and not and telling oh, her. Oh, the damage is done. She no, He no longer has to shame her. Oh, she's she's, she's self-shaming she's, at this point. I, I know. So I was it's watch- like we're teaching somebody to fish. You know, you can shame them, but if you can teach them to shame themselves. Oh. <laughs> yeah, if you could teach a, you can just turn them loose. Be shameful. Teach yeah, sure. a man to shame himself. Sure, you shame them once, and they're shamed for the day. But you teach them self shame, yeah, and they're shamed for life. There you and go, and that's the beauty. There right? you go. Yeah. yeah, I'll cut out all that sloppy stuff that you said. <laughs> 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 all right, so I was watching. Uh, you know, the each uh, the Citizens United ruling, which was nice because it allows candidates who we would never have to hear from, we get to hear from them now continuously, like Newt Gingrich, right? Because sure. he has a billionaire backing him. He have been out of the race a long time ago mm. same thing with rick santorum he has a billionaire backing him it's this guy foster freeze which is his name foster it's a real name and and so he was introducing and i just uh, introducing rick santorum at cpac and i just found a couple of things he said curious and i wanted to share them and i know i know foster freeze he's rich he's white he's a conservative and he's named after a james bond villain named <laughs> <laughs> And, and you know, uh, Foster Freeze is, is such a cool name. Uh, Marcus Bachman wants to change his name to Dairy Queen. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice, Greg. I, I picture Foster Freeze as, as like the, a James Bond villain who has like a bald sidekick named Snowflake. <laughs> <laughs> and they're both wearing sweater vests? They're both wearing sweater vests. By the way, Foster Freeze wearing a sweater vest. Yeah? Yes, while he's introducing Rick Santorum. Yes, wow. he is. And uh, so he's he's rich, white, and conservative. And so I'm just wondering how long it's going to take till he gets to the part where he's a victim. Mm-hmm. So it's coming, I bet. Mm-hmm. So here, let's just listen to a little bit of his introduction. He could win in Pennsylvania because he reaches out to that blue-collar woke, walk, worker. You know, the grandson of a coal miner has an advantage over some guy who makes a lot of money. That's not fair. I make a lot of money. I don't like the fact that I'm discriminated against and considered even evil because of it. Yeah, see? Discriminated against. against because he makes a lot of money. See, like... Uh, it seems like everyone's a victim of discrimination at CPAC, isn't it? Did you see it? those uh, water fountains? No rich people allowed to. <laughs> no, no rich people yeah. allowed, sure. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, and it's the worst kind of discrimination, Frank. Mm-hmm. It's the kind where the minority groups suppress the majority groups, right? <laughs> it's the kind where the people with no money and power stick their boot on the throat of the rich and powerful. It's the worst kind of discrimination. Rich people need their own uh, Rosa Parks who refuses to sit in the back of the Gulf Stream. <laughs> <laughs> Frank, so what you're saying is when are the rich white conservatives going to catch a break in this yeah, country? That's, that's exactly what you're. What I've, been, I've been wondering the same thing. Sure, they get to own everything and exploit workers, but why shouldn't they also be able to connect with workers they are exploiting too? It's just not fair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, him and Rick Santorum have a lot in common, uh, Rick Santorum and Foster Freeze, because Rick's grandfather 
was a coal miner, and everybody who works for Foster Freeze has a crappy job too. So <laughs> that's a little bit more. Let's get back to his uh, introduction of Rick Santorum, Foster Freeze at the CPAC. In fact, I'm discriminated against and considered even evil because of it. No, you're disliked. You're not discriminated against. You're disliked. There's a difference. Discrimination is where things are made difficult in your path, where you're unfairly judged, where unlawful things Mm -hmm. happen to you. No, you're you're just a pompous asshole who's disliked because you're using your financial leverage to... Yeah. <laughs> people don't hate you because you're rich. You're rich and people hate you. Yes. 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 <laughs> right. Okay. The grandson of a coal miner has an advantage over some guy who makes a lot of money. That's not fair. I make a lot of money. I don't like the fact that I'm discriminated against and considered even evil because of it. Ladies and gentlemen, I have fi- finally found the ringtone for my phone I've been looking for. <laughs> I will never tired of hearing how billionaires are tired of being discriminated against. Just once in my life, I want to hear that lady behind the lunch counter declare, hey, millionaire, we don't serve your kind around here, okay? Why don't you just go next door to the place with the three Michelin stars, okay? That's where you belong. Well, he probably also thinks that, you know, it was the slave owners who really had it bad during the Civil War. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. That, that was know, not fair. And nobody ever says nice things about slave owners anymore. And they, it's slaves get reparations. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, what, what about the cotton industry? That uh, really took a hit yeah. after right. slavery got abolished. I know. Okay, more back to He's got a little bit more to say before he brings out Rick. And the other thing I love about Rick Santorum. You'll never hear him say anything divisive. No. <laughs> no, never. Never. Claiming homosexuality is immoral is really an olive branch to the godless gaze. <laughs> divisive? He was just goofing with the dog whistle politics. When he was implying Obama's theology wasn't really Christian, it was to bring the people together. Mm. And when he said the President's Kennedy speech about separation of church and state made him puke, he meant it was so eloquent that it made him sick to his stomach with envy. <laughs> This is how he's bringing... Okay, he's got a little bit more. Nothing is ever divisive. He'll challenge people's positions, but he brings people together. You know what? As near as I can tell, the only people Rick Santorum has brought together are the people who don't want to vote for Mitt Romney. That's really the only people he's bringing together. The rest of the time, I think they were people who were already together on things like hating homosexuals and a woman's right to choose. And Santorum just kind of showed up at the rally and pretended he did it to bring people together. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Rich and the poor and the the middle is like we're three different classes. He doesn't talk about the rich, poor, and the middle class like they're three different classes. And you like that about him, Foster Freeze? (laughs) You like that he doesn't talk about the realities of our economy or our society? I'm just saying that's a weird thing to like about a guy who wants to rule our economy and our society. If I had never heard Santorum speak, based on this one thing, I would assume he speaks about a wonderful Disney-like utopia where churros are free. (laughs) (laughs) He speaks, and maybe I'm stealing his speech, but we're all in this together. And so we have to bring America back to the America that we're all in this together. Rich, poor, white, black, Catholic, Jew, whatever. You're right, yeah, yeah. You know, instead of Obama's America, where the poor steal our money and date our women.
Hi, Jay. This is Joanna calling from the freakishly warm Midwest with comments on another great show, episode 578. The blocking it up segment about Obama disrupting the concept of citizenship in the white supremacist mind is amazing. Uh, this is the first time I've heard anyone decipher the root cause of the ridiculous suggestion that Obama's not an American. All this time, I thought the right was going on about his father. Another stupid argument, of course. But their problem is actually the basic concept of citizens descending from slaves. As in, if I'm understanding this correctly, the descendant of a slave should not be considered a citizen. Wow. You know, beyond the obvious wrongness of trying to disenfranchise human beings that way, it's just so mean. I mean, what year is this? How hateful do you have to be to think such thoughts, or is it from ignorance? I don't know. But it would make an interesting study to find out what fundamental concepts make it possible for a person to believe in that one. And on a happier note, real quick, I just wanted to put a shout-out for African American History Month. Anyone who hasn't read The Color Purple yet, The Color Purple by Alice Walker, a Pulitzer Prize-winning book, so beautiful and amazing and so quintessentially American. So I hope everyone gets a chance to pick it up. And, Jay, thanks for everything you do. Hi, Jay. This is Ryan from Minneapolis. I wanted to respond to your discussion about Ryan Conrad's opposition to marriage equality as a gay man. I'm very familiar with Mr. Conrad's arguments against marriage equality. When I went to undergraduate school, I worked in the GLBT services office of my state university, and this discussion came up kind of often, and it was rather contentious. And as a gay man for marriage equality, I disagree with Mr. Conrad on a number of points. The argument goes something like this. We are gays, lesbians, and bisexuals. So, those of us in same-sex marriages or wanting to be in one should not want to get married because that is a heterosexual institution. It is old-fashioned and archetypal. We should just try to have some other arrangement where we are respected by the law and by society for whatever relationship we are in. So, immediately we have a conversation set up where we have us, the gays, and they, the straights, and we do not want to be a part of their society, or at least we should just demand that it change to better suit us. This is sort of a natural thing that happens to minority groups in the midst of fighting for equality. There's usually a small but sizable cleavage that breaks off the main movement and wants to fight for separation from society at large rather than for participation. The same thing has happened with the Black Panthers and some Latino groups and even some feminists in the past. I personally understand these feelings. When society at large has rejected you for so long, at some point you're just tempted to ask why do we even need to be a part of the society which has shunned us, in our case, for centuries and centuries. Uh, that kind of hurt is readily audible by Conrad's phrases like to stoop to straight people's level and that the confines and shackles of heterosexual marriage. Then, Jay, you asked a good question, and you wondered if uh, it would be a better time, uh, use of our time and resources to fight for change against the social and legal framework for relationships for a better future. And I've asked myself that a couple of times over the years when I've been fighting for this right to marry, but my answer has always been no. Marriage equality is much more efficient and a worthwhile fight, and here's why. First, if we stopped fighting for something as tangible and universally understood as marriage, our fight would be less tangible and would not be universally understood as it is now. If, for instance, Lambda Legal decided to drop the fight for marriage equality and said, okay, let's fight for a better future, then we just need to respect each other's relationships. 
you would lose most people in the GLBT community, not to mention our straight allies. We would lose the grassroots and the money and so on. And that's because that it, w it would not be clear what we are fighting for. Marriage just is a, is a central cultural institution. And uh, with this fight for marriage, we actually also gain other kinds of rights and social recognition, and we become less of a stigma in society than participating in society and things like going to public high school isn't so difficult. But the truth also is that most in our community don't agree with Ryan Conrad at this time. Most of us are in the phase of, of our struggle where we just want to have the same rights as the rest of society, and we want to be respected. I think that most people in our community don't view marriage as, as archaic and as oppressive as Ryan Conrad does. We view it as a central cultural institution, and same-sex couples raising children and those of us who hope to one day raise children uh, just want equality now. I think if Ryan Conrad wants to change the legal and social framework around marriage numerically, he would find more support with heterosexuals. We in the GLBT community are just too few as it is, and most of us in this minority actually want marriage equality. And finally, I have to say that this turns into sort of an argument for people uh, for people who want to uh, not only gain equality, but to actually radically change society like Mr. Conrad. They're in a position to not want to need or not want or need social or legal or financial benefits for marriage. For them, the cost of obtaining legal rights, such as power of attorney and legal inheritance, which costs thousands and thousands of dollars in legal fees, is not as pressing for them as people with lesser incomes or statuses. Medical insurance under our laughable system is not as big of an issue uh, if you are, say, a university professor at a state university with uh, domestic partner benefits. But for those of us who are more economically and socially vulnerable, it's actually a lot more pressing. And I would encourage people like Mr. Conrad to go out and to make their points and have their movement and um, go out and actually make their social movement if they feel that they actually have enough of a critical mass to have one. But I just find that it's odd to do at, to do so at the uh, at the expense of the rest of us in the community who on equality. Thanks for the conversation on this, Jay. I hope that I hope that gives some more light to it. Hey, Jay, it's Colin from Cleveland. Uh, just listened to your podcast about the rise of the sweater vest, and it's Saturday now, and I am watching Rick Santorum speak on uh, C-SPAN. Watching him speak in Michigan. And he's saying that the second step to bring this country back is to <clears throat> help the corporations by getting rid of government regulation. And he talked about how we are less of a competitor with our nine top foreign traders. And he said that if you take labor out of the equation, you know, you can't argue wages, but just that government regulation alone weighs down the cost and makes us uncompetitive. And how it's not helping us. I wonder if he totally forgot what American companies doing business in foreign countries are doing for no regulation. Say, the Bhopal India disaster, you know, Union Carbide. Again, too, let alone, let's forget how little they paid those workers. Let's talk about the no regulations, the massive disaster, and the fact that those people have still never gotten any reparations from the company whatsoever. So... I just love to hear this auditorium of conservatives in Michigan cheering this guy when he's basically inviting a Bopal India disaster to happen here because we want to be competitive. At what cost, I ask? How many people have to go blind? How many people have to die? 
It just amazes me the short-sightedness of some people. Anyway, Jay, as always, I love the show. Thanks for listening, everyone, and thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you would like to leave a comment, question, or activist call to action yourself to be played on the show, the number to dial is 206-202-3410. And I just want to say I really appreciated uh, the, the voicemail today from Ryan in Minneapolis. And don't let anyone be confused that a five-minute voicemail is way too long. <laughs> so if you leave one, the chances of it getting played on the show are incredibly low. But but Ryan's uh, point was so good that it actually it really gave me a new perspective on the issue of uh, pushing for LGBT rights in a strategic way and, and the way he talked about it. And so that, that was the second voicemail of the today. If you are one of those people who skips over those, I really recommend you go back and listen to it. Uh, really great stuff. Other than that, I want to mention uh, something ground-shaking that has happened today in, in the world of my uh, fundraising efforts. I have pledged to ride a bike 300 miles between New York City and Washington, D.C. to raise uh, not only awareness of carbon-free methods of transportation, but also money to climate change nonprofit organizations who I personally wholeheartedly endorse, 350.org, the Chesapeake Climate Action Network, and Green for All. And so I've been raising money through the show, and uh, and today – Three incredibly generous uh, donations came in. Julie came in with uh, a very generous $50, and then Chad and Carrie came way over the top, donating $150 each. So all uh, in in one day, uh, sprang ahead of the 50% mark. So I'm up to 54% of my goal, up to $1,304 out of the 2400 total I'm working towards. So uh, obviously incredibly appreciative and, and very optimistic about uh, this fundraising effort. So thanks to everyone who has donated and anyone who's considering it. The way to do it is uh, just go to bestoftheleft.com and in the show notes, uh, so like under the title of the episode, there is a link embedded right in the show notes but you know like episode and by the way i'm riding 300 miles click here to donate it'll take you right to where you need to go so that is going to do it for today. I just want to thank all the members and donors who make the show possible. Of course, you, if you want to support the show directly, memberships and donations are the uh, single best way to do that. Beyond that, of course, you can do the completely free action of telling everyone you know about it and by spreading the word of individual clips through your social networks. All of that can also be done through the show notes. To stay tuned into the show between episodes, join up with us on Facebook and Twitter. And for details on the show itself, including links to all the sources and music used in this and every episode, all that information is always posted in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from far outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast, coming to you every third day, thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show, from bestoftheleft.com. Black and white, you took apart a picture that wasn't right.